Hello and welcome to The Abstract on CFUR 88.7 FM with your hosts Jeremy and Kristen. You can catch us online at CFUR.ca or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're recording on the traditional territory of the Clayton today. Today on the show, we talked to Megan Gordon about her work visiting communities struggling with the downturn in the coal industry and her future work that she's doing with her master's degree on a just employment transition for forestry workers. However, before we get to our interview, the first track we're going to play today is from the now late and great John Prine, who is a true champion of working people and uh, a lot of the themes that he talked about in his music, Megan talks about in her interview today. So the first track that we have is Angel from Montgomery. Give me one thing that I can hold on to 
show today. We're so, so, so excited to have you on. Thanks, guys. It's so great to be here. We're just going to kick it off as we usually do with um, just asking you to give us like a little bit of your your background, educational, that type of stuff uh, before we kind of dive into your research. Sure. I guess I'll take it away then. Um, so I, uh, I'm from a little town near Kingston called Sydney, Ontario. Um, Lived, he lived here until I decided to go uh, to university at the University of Ottawa. Uh, I did my bachelor's there in public admin and uh, started to work for the government uh, when I graduated. I got bridged in as a co-op student there. So uh, I worked for Environment and Climate Change Canada for about two years and uh, decided to go back to school. <laughs> So that brought me to UNVC. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what what is a public admin degree like? Do you are you learning about what the cogs of government are <laughs> like, or or what's that? What kind of systems do you that learn about in that? That is precisely what we study, Jeremy. <laughs> it's it's it's, <laughs> it's sort of like a, a multidisciplinary program. You get a, like a little bit of poli sci, you get a little bit of economics, uh, sociology. Um, I started out like in pretty like general social sciences. It's a lot. It's kind of this mix of them. Um, but it is it is a pretty generalist degree. Like you're not necessarily uh, specializing in anything per se. And then of course, like being in Ottawa, it's really kind of like a way to line up for a career in government. So um, it just so happened that you know, it, like it's not like. I got my degree in uh, environmental studies and then went to work for environment and climate change Canada. It was like, it was like, yeah, like mm-hmm. working in government and learning about how government works and then learning about policy development and the policy process. So, yeah. Yeah. So it kind of, does it kind of help, is it sort of a means to form the basis for decision-making in, in a government setting? Is that sort of yeah, the basis totally, for it? Yeah, totally, totally. You learn about like the nuances, the different relationships between the bureaucracy and the politicians and kind of like, yeah, decision making and, and how that you, you said it really well, how that all kind of comes together. So. And you're you're in the NRES program at UMBC. So was that like always kind of a focus of your degree? Um, uh, of my my current degree, like my grad school, your undergrad, like, did you know that you wanted to have kind of this like environmental and we'll talk about like just transition stuff like was that kind of your hopes going in so i had like a couple general policy interests like i was more interested in the post like um social policy side of things rather than like fiscal policy um environmental policy was always of interest indigenous uh policy and indigenous relations were really interesting to me so i also did a couple of my co-op terms at indigenous and northern affairs canada um but it wasn't really until I started working for Environment and Climate Change Canada that I started to learn more about like this, 
like the, the actual like environmental studies, environmental sciences thing. That's where I sort of started to specialize and like lean towards um, the climate policy angle. So it was actually, um, that was really kind of what informed my decision to come back to grad school was wanting to be more of a specialist because I felt more like, okay, yeah, I know what policy is, but like, who am I to make these big decisions if I'm not like an expert in my policy field? So, and especially being like, you know, mm-hmm. young public servant, you're kind of like, okay, no, I want to really, I want to really contribute something if I'm going to be given the responsibility of making like such big decisions for Canada. So, yeah. Yeah. And I guess it kind of points to the challenge that policymakers have in that oftentimes you end up in this position where you're making decisions uh, based on scientific information, but I guess it's not always the case that people have the literacy or the the background knowledge to, you know, really have a basis to compare different options in that kind of spa- yeah, space. Totally. And and another thing too, like just I think I think what's kind of interesting and and what I've I've really gotten to see through changing like kind of coming out of the Ottawa bubble was really like the the different environment that is in a different place, like moving to a rural place where you can see um, like firsthand some of the impacts of the decisions that you're making in like a policy center like Ottawa. So like having that having the experience of kind of getting out of the you know, the climate world or um, the policy world, the policy bubble, where it's like very much like it's like kind of hyper competitive environment. And and uh, there's like a whole bunch of like policy nerds around everywhere. But you kind of you're kind of missing that like real human, like experiential aspect of things, too. So coming to UNBC was really like, OK, time to time to like kind of experience the real world. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how did you get interested in like the like the more rural, small town type of work that you're doing? I mean, PG not being a small town, but like we'll talk more about your research happening in Quinell and like just being separated from those major urban centers. Yeah. So, really, um, and this sort of feeds into what we'll talk about in terms of like my work in just transition. Um, but uh, I had this really unique experience uh, as part of my job as a policy analyst there. And it was kind of this once in a lifetime government opportunity where um, the minister decided at COP, like the uh, committee of parties at the United Nations uh, Conference on Climate Change, they announced that this, um, they were going to release this just transition task force. And uh, they assembled this group of experts and basically I got to be one of the policy analysts that supported this group and I actually got to travel all over Canada to these different coal regions um, to to meet with workers and, and rural communities and learn more firsthand about what those experiences were like. And that's where it kind of, it clicked in my mind. It was like, okay, this is, this is, you know, how you inform policy is kind of getting into these communities, hearing firsthand impacts and experiences and and then coming back to the table and in this collaborative kind of multidisciplinary approach kind of come up with something that that is representative of these voices so that's where it was it wasn't really until this like you know getting to hop around canada that it, it kind of clicked for me 
Yeah, and cool. um, I guess you've mentioned it now, and we're obviously going to talk a lot about it, but can you just kind of describe to the audience who might not be familiar with the idea of, like, just transition and, like, what that means? Can you just, I don't know, give kind of a layperson's description? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's, like, it starts kind of with this, like, jobs versus environment debate. You know what I'm, yeah, anyway, so. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> especially, um in Canada, you know, we're a resource-based economy, and in the past, uh, policies that have been meant to uh, improve environmental circumstances or environmental policies that have been introduced have often had really negative repercussions for uh, resource sector workers and, and people who rely on, on the fossil fuels industry, for example. So kind of coming out of that, um, there was a couple of problems. So first of all, there were these direct impacts, like workers were feeling threatened by the impact that th there could potentially be on their livelihoods. And obviously that creates a resistance to the environmental movement or um, actions you can take to mitigate climate change. And also at the same time, like the rhetoric in the environmental movement was quite like disparaging of these workers. Like, oh, it's like a dirty, like for coal, for example, mm -hmm. it's like this dirty industry and, it really, um, it doesn't, it doesn't like accurately um, account for like this industry that's supporting livelihoods and that, you know, these jobs too, like coal, for example, forestry have had huge, um, they've really helped like build Canada as a country and build the economy, build, build the uh, economy of British Columbia. So um, there was this disconnect and this mm -hmm. resentment and this tension building. And so in about like around the 1980s, I think is when the term just transition was coined. Um, it was coined by the labor movement and it was advocating for government to play a more active role in redistributing some of the impacts that come uh, with the move to the low carbon economy or um, environmental policies more generally, or even just the impacts of climate change. So it's, it's kind of combines a bit of um, like climate justice, social justice, environmental justice, and it's a way to just make sure that it's not the rural um, resource dependent workers and communities who are bearing the brunt of the impact of the move to the low carbon economy. Cool. And, and I guess the people that are coming from these areas of skilled labor, they're sort of also positioned to be a part of the, the transition to different, like more environmentally friendly energy frameworks and, and stuff like that is that kind of what you look at as well Yeah. so i mean as much as you'd love there to be this like natural link between uh the skills and assets of of workers and resource sector jobs to like you know um clean clean energy sector jobs it's not always that simple um and mm -hmm. Not everybody's a solar panel electrician, exactly. I guess. And, and like, you know, even just the number of, of available jobs in those sectors, like uh, solar panel, I'm, I'm glad you brought that one up because it's like, that's very seasonal work. It's often contract-based work. You install a solar panel and you only need a couple of people to do regular maintenance. It's not like a coal-fired electricity uh, generating station where you're, you know, employing like 300 full-time workers who have, uh, salaries that support families and benefits and unionized work. So um, you've got to really look at like, like this, this element of justice is really important to look at like what, 
what these people are, what they value and what they want to see in, in this transition and, and the, the qualities of the jobs that come out of it. Yeah, I feel like I've been guilty myself of like, as part of environmental groups, just being like, oh, well, if you've, you know, worked in forestry your whole life, like, yeah, you can go be a whatever solar technician or wind technician. But it's like, if somebody told me tomorrow, like, oh, you can't do your work anymore. You need to go be an architect because like, oh, it's all the same. It's like, no, it's not even remotely the same. It takes retraining and money and time. Yeah. Yeah. Complicated stuff. (laughs) And again, like people don't know, like they don't know what, what, like where the availabilities are. It, it, are they going to be in the community that these people were worked? Are they, you know, expected to uproot their lives and, and take these fly in, fly out jobs like in another province. So a lot of, a lot of weird stuff there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, it sounds like we've outlined a lot of uh, topics to unpack here, but uh, I guess I think it's about time for a break coming up. So we've got a track coming up for you and uh, we'll be back shortly. Wake up every day, I wonder what you're thinking about the weather. Later in the night, I wonder if it's ever gonna clear. If it's raining here, I hope that you're not doing any better. I heard it on the wind from someplace happened and won't go back to it rattles. Only know thought that I was attached to
face was blocked by the way I held you too close The beauty of the place was blocked by the way I held you too close The beauty of the place was blocked by the way I held you too close The beauty of the place was blocked by the way I held you too close the track The Lookout by Sarah Harmer from her 2020 release Are You Gone? And that track was chosen because Sarah's actually an artist from Southern Ontario, uh, where Megan, our guest today, is from. You're listening to The Abstract on CFUR 88.7 FM, online at cfur.ca, and in podcast form on anchor.fm. Okay, we're back on The Abstract with Megan Gordon. Megan is a master's student at UNBC looking at just transitions for uh, communities that are moving from resource-based economies to uh, greener alternatives, to use the uh, the green word. <laughs> so, uh, so in the first set, we talked about um, how you kind of became interested in just transitions while you're working on a just just transitions task force that traveled around the country a bit so would you mind just outlining a little bit more about what that was like what were the goals of going to these communities and where did you go yeah who'd you talk totally. to so just by way of background too so the reason that this task force was put together in the first place was again a lot because of the activism and lobbying by um unions by the canadian labor congress um because it was basically prompted by um, the federal government's decision to phase out coal-fired electricity generation by 2030. Um, And so this was kind of like this unique situation because often in resource sector industries, there's like a, you know, a a combination of things that'll lead to decline and downturns and boom and bust cycles. But this was like one of one of the big like government policy regulated out um, decisions for a, an entire industry. They're basically telling people like, we are, we are, you know, effectively going to be taking away jobs. Um, so yeah, so they put together this group of experts. There was like labor people, uh, economic development people, industry reps, municipal reps. And um, they, you know, they came to us and they were like, okay, uh, just transition task force, go do this. And we were like, what is a just transition? <laughs> so. <laughs> so, um, you know, did some did some Google searches and uh, uh, had a, an awesome team. And we we met with this group and we sort of took direction from them. And they were like, we're going to communities and we're talking to workers and we're having town halls. We're having meetings with, um, you know, we're having meetings with municipal people. We're having meetings with with, uh, you know, miners. We're having meetings with, uh, you know, electricians. Um, engineers, whatever. So we went around, we met with all these different kinds of stakeholders, provincial governments, whatever. 
And um, in these meetings, we learned a lot about the impacts of what was going to be, you know, coming with the coal phase out. There was actually all over Canada, there was, um, it wasn't an evenly kind of distributed phase out. Um, in Alberta, they were already really far along. There had been uh, layoffs already. So like there was one day we went into a community where um, there had been layoffs announced that morning. So here we are like ready to talk about a just yes. transition yes. when it's like, okay, uh, are we too late? Like what, what needs to happen? Um, we heard about, you know, like there's, there's all these different things you don't consider that aren't obvious. Like, of course, there's going to be layoffs. There's going to be industry closures when it comes to facing out an industry. But what we don't hear as much about are like the mental health impacts, uh, the stress, the uncertainty, impacts on families, like rise in domestic violence, rise in divorce, drug addictions. Um, and then, of course, like when when one industry in a small rural town is is phased out, that like kind of sets off this like chain reaction of events. So it's impacting local services, businesses, um, you know, availability of, of healthcare workers if it doesn't make sense to stay in a certain community because the population is declining as people are moving out for jobs. So it's really layered and um, and yeah, it was <laughs> just such an eye-opening experience going to these places. Yeah, I remember listening to a CBC interview recently with someone, I think in Fort Nelson, and she had like owned a family five and dime shop for years. And it was this, like she just like broke down in the interview because it's like you, a lot of people think about the lost forestry jobs and lost mill jobs, but we're not always thinking about the, the broader implications for a community. Yeah, absolutely. And people are... Do you, did you find... No, oh, sorry, I was just saying, people are so, so passionate about these jobs too. And like, it really plays into people's identity. Like they're attached to their places. They're, they're proud of their work too. So it's, it's kind of stripping away this really core part of a lot of people. Yeah, so... Yeah, people have been extracting resources mm -hmm. for generations. And did you feel like when you had these like town halls and stuff, was it, was the interactions more like like how can you help us or was it more just like almost to a we just want to come here and like not complain is like the the wrong word but kind of just like air our grievances right. um we were lucky in the sense that it wasn't necessarily um politicians that were doing these consultations it was kind of like these honest brokers like these these experts like we're like coming in and seeing how can we help like what can the government do to make the impacts um, you know, take away some of the really negative aspects. Like, what do you need? What is that? Is that uh, retraining? Is that, um, you know, allowances to help you move or help sell your house? Is it finding new jobs? What, like, what is it? So we were, there was obviously like a lot of um, people who weren't really ready to talk about the phase out of coal, especially if it hadn't really like the impact hadn't started there. We had a lot of people saying, like, we want the government to keep coal going. We want, we don't want to see the end of the coal industry. Like, these are good jobs. They keep us in our community. Like, don't phase it out. <laughs> and then, you know, yeah. in, in areas where there were these impacts, um, we started to hear have more, not productive, not the, the right word. Like, all these insights were really valuable. And, and the government does need to hear that. If people want coal to stay, that's, that's what these communities are saying. 
Um, but so it, it was a, a wide variety and, and it really, like, you know, we definitely had some, some people who were angry and, and totally justifiably, um, yeah. there were some emotional meetings. <laughs> 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 like I can, um, I can give an example if you guys want. So sounds good. <laughs> Basically, so there was this one community where, oh God. Okay. So Saskatchewan, a little town called Cornac, Saskatchewan. And I think it was a population of about 650 people. So tiny little town. Um, it basically, the only reason this town is there is because of the coal industry. Like the coal industry started up and we're like, okay, we need workers come to Cornac. And so this little community developed and it's been there now for about 40 years. And um, this was one of the ones where, you know, economy hasn't really diversified much beyond the industry. And um, so it, it was going to impact the whole people. Like this, this community was, was really felt that they were at risk of the whole town's existence being taken away. And we held this open town hall and there was probably, we had about 250 people come to this meeting. So town of 650, we had like mm -hmm. almost half the town show up and they had wow. like, oh my God, that was, that one was really testing me in terms of like, okay, when will I cry? Like, will this be the day? <laughs> Cause it was, it's really <laughs> like these people, not only are, you know, they, they're passionate and, um, I mean, they have a lot to say and they're worried and they're stressed, but they're also like, we were greeted very warmly in these places. Like people brought us in. They were like, you know, they saw us as, as a potential aid and, you know, they fed us food and they had to sit down and it was like, yeah, it was, it was airing out some grievances, but it was also like, look, you guys really need to consider these things seriously. And so in this particular town yeah. hall, um, they had a secret weapon and her name was Gracie and she was a five-year-old. And so, you know, one person, it's an open mic, they bring her up to the, to the front stage and they're like, okay, Gracie has something to say. And we're talking like the cutest little cherub looking five-year-old you could ever imagine. And she leans <laughs> into the microphone and she's like, I just wanted to say that I want to be a coal miner like my daddy. Like, oh, 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 God. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yeah. I was like, oh, oh man, not only is this like, okay, cute little kid, you know, women in an underrepresented industry, like, love it. It's oh, women in STEM. Just, I hope that Gracie becomes yeah. like a, I hope she becomes an environmental engineer. I hope she's listening to this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I guess like one, one question uh, to like maybe wrap up more of this like task force yeah. stuff that you worked on is uh like you had this task force you got to go to all these pretty unique communities were there did you come up with like solutions yeah <laughs> like ideas for these communities great question um so yeah we did um we came up so the whole mandate of the task force was to come up with a report so um as member of the secretariat supporting this task force we worked uh with a team in environment canada and with these task force members to to develop recommendations and uh, some of them did get budget funding which is awesome so we did like different recommendations for workers communities um, and sort of more like foundational recommendations so um, we're, we're lucky that like the timing and the budget cycle worked out in that 
there were some like, you know, transition centers that were opened in some places. So there were some tangible outcomes from the whole process, which is really promising, but it'll, it'll be many, many years to see mm. kind of really what the, what the impact of them are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, yeah, I think we've got another track lined up here and uh, we'll be back shortly to hear about maybe what your master's is shaping up to look Good. like. It's a big job just getting by with nine kids and a wife But I've been working, man, dang near all my life And I'll keep on working Long as my two hands are fit to use I'll drink my beer in a tavern Sing a little bit of these working man blues I'll keep my nose on the grindstone Work hard every day I might get a little tired on the weekend After I draw my pay I'll go back working Come Monday morning I'm right back with the crew I drank a little beer that evening Sang a little bit of these working man blues Sometime I think about leaving Do a little bumming around I want to throw my bills out the window Catch a train to another town I'll go back working I gotta buy my kids a brand new pair of shoes I drank a little beer in a tavern Cry a little bit of these working man blues Here comes that working man That was the song Working Man Blues by the one and only country bluegrass singer Merle Haggard. Uh, A song that really speaks to a lot of what we're talking about today with our guest, Megan Gordon. You're listening to CFUR 88.7 FM and online at cfur.ca. We are back on the Zoom with Megan Gordon, and uh, we've just been talking about your experience on the Just Transitions Task Force, Um, but we're wondering if we could dive into your master's research here at UNBC. So I guess who was your supervisor, and uh, what are you guys looking at doing? Uh, Supervisor is Dr. Greg Halseth. Um, he's in the geography department and he's also 
uh, co-director for the Community Development Institute. So very lucky to be plugged in with those guys. Um, but uh, for my thesis, I'm going to be looking at uh, ways we can achieve a just transition for forestry workers in northern BC. And cool. do you see, well, let's start, I guess, with um, where are you, like, what part of the province are you looking at? So I uh, will be will be mostly working in Quesnel, um, kind of looking at, like, the northern region, northern interior region more generally, but I'm going to be doing interviews in Quesnel. Yeah, and I think Quesnel is one of the communities that's been hit pretty hard by this downturn in forestry. Maybe mill closures there? Yep, so uh, I think it was August, there was the Toko Quest Wood Mill that shut down, um, impacting, I think, I think there was 150 layoffs from that closure. And unfortunately, also, um, the, the Canfor Mill closed prior to this current downturn in 2014. Um, I think in that instance, though, they were sort of able to redistribute some of the workers to other operations. Um, but yeah, unfortunately for this one, it meant full layoffs. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, I know that you've you've submitted and defended your research proposal for what you want to do, and um, I guess maybe a month or two after that, um, COVID nineteen became our new reality. So presumably things have changed. But what was kind of the general approach and question you were trying to get at with your with your research proposal? Yes. So um, I'm. It's kind of been centered around three main questions. Um, I'm looking to see like how applicable this idea of a just transition is in the forestry context, because talked about a little bit earlier in the coal context, it was like government regulated phase out. But in forestry, it's again, more of that like combination of several different impacts, including climate related impacts from um, the wildfire instances in 2017, 2018, and the mountain pine beetle outbreaks and um, so I'm sort of looking at more of like climate change impacts on an industry and just transition. One of my questions, and then uh, there was also this suite of programs that was announced by the provincial government uh, providing support for interior forestry workers. There was a bridge to retirement, uh, job placement offices. So I'm also going to be kind of looking at um, how effective those programs are according to forestry workers, uh, their families and communities in Quesnel, of course, and, and you're right. Uh, yeah, still figuring out how this is all going to work uh, given the new new normal. Um, I'm still hoping to be conducting interviews in the very near future, uh, be, you know, interviews on Skype or, uh, or via telephone. So um, still planning all that stuff out, but I'm, I'm really looking forward mm. to, to speaking with people and hearing more about their their insights and priorities as it relates to the low carbon economy and 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 so i guess all covid constrict um, constraints aside um how does a project like this normally work like an interview-based research project do you are you kind of like recording a whole bunch of interviews with people and then kind of codifying words so you can see oh, okay this many people talked about this topic and so this thing seems more important than the other thing how, how does that kind of research work in the first place yeah so with qualitative research methods i mean interview is is one approach um i was also going to be doing focus groups but that really isn't an option um 
but yeah, mm. you, you essentially explained the general process. It's uh, a little more involved than that. Like I have an interview guide with different questions and semi-structured things. So it is more conversational. I'll be asking to learn a little bit more about impacts, um, like responses to scenario questions, um, but basically asking the same set of questions to everyone I talk to tailored to specific groups. So whether or not that's a um, forestry worker who is still employed or uh, recently displaced, or if it's a you know spouse of a forestry worker, they're all slightly different. And uh, I'll be doing some mm -hmm. thematic analysis. So that's what you said. It's kind of coming at the common threads of, of um, and patterns in the responses to kind of see their significance and and how how you know prominent and strong they are, and also just you know mm. it's seeing kind of I, I kind of have a general idea of what those will be, but uh, really just hearing firsthand what that is, and then I'm also hoping to do kind of like a policy recommendations at the end. So real kind okay. of like tangible product from this will be okay based on this analysis, based on what people have been telling me what can we do to improve the current programs and what do we need to do to prepare for the future? And so I guess one question I have when you're, um, for your interviews, you said you're talking to like people that maybe had a job, lost a job and, and partners. And are you also going to be talking to like, I don't know, Canfor or West Fraser, like the, the, the corporations or like environmental groups who are all kind of at this nexus of what, what we should do? So my research is really focused on um, the people who are impacted and facing the direct impacts. I wanted that really to be the amplified voice through my work. Um, and also, it's it's pretty like logistically tricky to talk to companies. <laughs> so um, I, I at, at the job fair at, at UNBC that happened, I was kind of, you know, going up to the company <laughs> and kind of just gauging like their responsiveness to certain questions and it was very much like all right talk to our communications department thanks very much so yeah <laughs> um, yeah and it's it is unfortunate because i you know this is like in order for the transition to be just like i believe there is a role for industry and um i do believe you know there there's goodness in the world and that these people do care about their workforce and they don't want to just leave workers stranded and that there's you know things that companies can be doing to help ease, um, like, you know, help layoffs, you know, have, you know, strong severance packages or job fairs that they hold in their communities. So it's unfortunate. Um, but again, it's also, I have to scope my research to a certain extent. Um, I'd love to talk mm -hmm. to everybody and, and really open it up, but also trying to get a master's degree and get out of here. Every <laughs> yeah, single time. Totally. yeah. You don't want to be like Jeremy yeah. here for six years doing a master's. Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Well, I do. I do have one question about scope creep. Um, in that, like you're you're kind of you're doing a qualitative research project um, when there are like economic questions and forces at work. So, is, is there like a little bit of an economic portion to this type of research where you're saying, okay, this many jobs were lost, this much income was lost collectively in the community. This is where it could go. You know, this is an alternative place where this income could be made up for. Like, is that sort of a component of the analysis or, or is that leading to epic scope creep? <laughs> little, little bit of scope creep. I see that as um, kind of the place where my work could be picked up. Like, I'm, I'm really looking at more like the social, um, the social impacts, the social and economic impacts 
But in terms of finding like the economic solutions for workers, that is for mm -hmm. the person after me, or maybe that's what I'll do my PhD in. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that's kind of where that like low carbon economy transition comes in. And again, one of, one of my research questions and some of the line of questioning I have is going to be looking at like, um, how that how the move to a low carbon economy how you know new opportunities new green jobs align with the priorities of forestry workers and we need to know that before we know you know what are you know we need to know what people are willing to do what kind of jobs people are qualified for are, are you know what's feasible for retraining and what the jobs of the future are going to be and the industries that can uh, potentially support these communities that lose forest um, you know sawmills and, and pulp and paper uh, operations, like what what's going to support those communities. So yeah, I see that kind of as like my work will inform that next step, which is super interesting. Yeah. And yeah, I really do have to like, okay, like don't go too far down that road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whole other thing. So okay, we'll all just be, we'll all just be a Silicon Valley of the North, right? That's, oh, yeah, that's as yeah, simple right. as that. Yeah. <laughs> from the forestry service to the uh the coding factories that's that's what it is that's yeah. the ultimate <laughs> well, <laughs> you can cite me in your thesis oh, on I this. Will. we'll have a whole i'll interview you jeremy it'll be great perfect um, perfect but one it's also really interesting too because forestry is unique in the sense that like we don't necessarily need to move away from forestry a lot of it is kind of like greening the industry um like traditional forest sector jobs can still exists right like it's more so again we hear a lot about uh, value added processing and how that's going to work and incentivizing that um my supervisor also told me about this really interesting thing i believe it was in fort nelson i have to double check that but um they uh they converted their plant into an essential oils processing oh. company so i think it's Whoa. i think they have like it's like the maybe it's spruce essential oil, spruce scented essential oils. So yeah, it's like all these really creative things that you don't think of right away, but there's lots of, of yeah. excellent people who are investigating that more closely. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Speaking of the value added products, this makes me think that we got to get somebody from the uh, wood engineering department oh, yeah. to come on our show and talk about their, uh, their what are they called, CLT panels? Yeah. The, the yeah. layered wood beams and stuff like that so yeah i have a well, uh, i have a question about i guess like this is like kind of related to like specifically your masters but also just like you know you've moved from like eastern ontario or ontario and doing coal work and now you're in bc with forestry do you sometimes because i find this it can be kind of almost hard to break into forestry if you haven't like grown up around like how do you kind of break down those barriers as like a kind of an outsider yeah no it's a good question because I've, I've had to learn so much about the industry and it's it's fascinating the roots are so so deep here in northern bc so um again very lucky to kind of draw on connections um that i have through the community development institute and and you know just even even people like i have in classes people i meet in classes know people in these communities know uh, forestry workers, people who work in the mill, young people, older people. So um, been relying a lot on kind of like interpersonal contacts and stuff for that. But yeah, it, it is like this, you know, the more I learn, it's the more just questions I have and, and kind of the dynamic aspects come forward. Like 
even listening to your guys um, interview with Tom talking about the um, his work down in Yuklulit it's yeah just there's the whole like forestry fishery dynamics and it's 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 wild <laughs> yeah it is wild. nice that's uh, we have a confirmed listener Kristen. this is huge yes. it's not just <laughs> like your partner <laughs> yeah well uh well right on i think that's all we have for time today but uh this was really interesting and uh, i'm really looking forward to hearing what comes out of your work here we'll have to have you back on once uh once you're at that thesis defense totally. stage. <laughs> what a treat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, thanks so much for coming on, Megan. This was fantastic. Yeah, thank you.
This last track was from Motion City Soundtrack, and it was called The Future Freaks Me Out, which is quite appropriate given the context of this interview, seeing as we can't all be living in resource-based economies forever in the face of climate change. And it's especially appropriate given that we're living through COVID-19 right now, and I don't even know what I'm doing in a week. So (laughs) the future freaks me out too. Yeah, maybe a little too on the nose with that track, but... That was a super interesting interview, I thought, with Megan. I feel like probably both of us learned quite a bit. Yeah, I actually, you know, it's kind of funny when you hear in the news about um, economic downturns happening in resource-based towns, and you hear about people trying to present green alternative industries to generate, and it sounds like such a happy-go-lucky idea, but it sounds like it's actually quite a lot more complicated than it seems. Yeah, I think she made it, like, made a very good point in that it's just never as easy as shifting from one job to the next job. And that's like seems to be what's always touted is that it doesn't have to be jobs versus economy, but sometimes it's really difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if if you can wield a chainsaw, it doesn't mean that you can solder a circuit board (laughs) or something like that. Instead, it's not the same thing at all. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing I was thinking a lot about after we finished the interview was how it is like her, her research is so unique in that it's like there, there can always be this, it's a very politicized environment of like the environmentalists versus the big forestry companies. And often I think what gets overlooked is just the people and the people are the thing that really matter, especially when you live in a place like Prince George or these small towns like Quinella and Mackenzie. So I think that's a really cool spot that she's in for her research. Totally. And the other thing that it kind of revealed to me was that you know, we all have this habit of thinking that government does forget about the people all the time. But then you hear that there was this Just Transitions task force that was traveling around the country doing town hall events and reaching out to people very intentionally. So the government is aware that it's not just a simple flip of the switch kind of transition. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. And the fact that it was like they, it wasn't just these like massive meetings in massive cities. It was like they're going to these tiny little towns all over the country. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that does not sound easy to do either, so much respect for that process. Well, I think it's safe to say Megan will be a tough act to follow in our future interviews. Oh yeah, but we've got some great guests lined up. Uh, next week we've got Chris Morgan, who's doing work in conservation planning in the Seke Dene territory. North do you know where here. this, oh, north of here, okay. Is it north, yeah. northwest, like the Hearts Range? Uh, maybe just due north? Um, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could get into the specifics. I guess we'll yeah, find out. I'm, yeah, exactly. Uh, we've also got Karen Church, who's doing her PhD in Indigenous Trail Mapping, which sounds really interesting. Uh, Ella Parker, who is doing a master's project on youth science education um, through experiential learning. So I'm really excited about these guests coming up. Yeah, we're. I think we're getting pretty lucky. We're uh, managing to fill up our calendar, although I guess people... People probably have a bit more spare time or a bit more flexibility to come on to a, a podcast with us. Oh, yeah, for sure. And any of our listeners that uh, are feeling quite idle now that they're trapped in their homes, uh, if there's any interest in coming on the show, please get in contact through the CIFR website. And uh, we're, we're open to any suggestions, any comments. And, uh, yeah, always looking for guests. So uh, please reach out to us. Yeah, and we don't care where you are in your academic path or if you're faculty, staff, students, we're... We're happy to talk to anybody who has interesting stuff to say. Yeah, exactly. And uh, 
What else is coming up in the uh, world of CFUR, Kristen? Oh, Jeremy, how exciting. It is uh, next week, so April 24th. Next, so that's Friday night from 5 to 7 p.m. is Radio Bingo, which sounds so bizarre, but it is so much fun. Uh, So fun. Our station manager goes into the studio and he dumps out bingo balls. And it's quite easy to get involved. You can, each sheet is $2 and all the benefits go to CFER and all the programming uh, that they do for youth and for and for students on campus. Um, and so if you just check out the CFER website, you'll see a big link now to Radio Bingo. So it's uh, Friday, April 24th from 5 to 7. And you just, you, if you can order the sheets by the 21st, there will be a contactless drop-off for you. Yeah. And uh, I believe historically they've been getting delivered to people's houses, these tickets, too. So pretty easy operation to just get some tickets, turn on your radio and have a great time. Very easy. Very, very fun. Oh, yeah. Well, you've been listening to The Abstract with Kristen and Jeremy on CFUR 88.7 FM. You can catch us online at cfur.ca or anchor.fm, anywhere that you get your podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next week.